right, well, good morning. You may be seated. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word. And first of all, uh, go with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. As I was preparing uh, for this message, uh, this verse was ringing in my heart. In my heart. verse 1, 1 John 3 verse 1 I think it really fits what we just sang and it really fits uh, what this Christmas season is about I'm only going to read the first half of the verse but it says see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are let's pray together Father it's an amazing thing to think about what you've done for us in Christ. So undeserved, as my brother has already said. But yet your mercy and your kindness and your grace are greater than the depth of our depravity and our sin. And Father, we thank you for sending Christ to set us free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. What love you have lavished upon us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. Lord, as we study the scriptures, I pray that that verse really resonates in our hearts today. That as we think about the Christmas story this morning, or at least the section of it, that we just continue to think and remember we benefit, we are blessed, but it is not because of who we are or what we have done, but it's because of your great love, grace, mercy, and the person and work of Christ. Lord, we pray for the illumination of your spirit this morning. Father, we pray, God, that you open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears to see, really hear, and respond to the truth. God, that's our prayer. It's a prayer that we can't do on our own, Lord. We can't open our spiritual eyes or open our spiritual ears or move in our own hearts, Lord. We need you and your spirit through the ministry of the word to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, but yet it's a prayer that we're confident because of our great high priest that you will hear and you will answer so god we pray it in faith looking for the answer in faith we pray all of this in the name of jesus amen all right if you'll go with me now to luke chapter one luke chapter one and we're going to focus together this morning on Mary's praise to the Lord in response to what God was going to do and God's revealed will to her life, in her life, to the angel Gabriel. Luke chapter 1, and our text this morning will be verses 46 through, through 56. So I want us to remind ourselves as we begin of a couple of things that we know are true, but it's important that we keep them in mind so that we rightly interpret the word and we rightly interpret what's happening in redemptive history when we look at this passage of scripture and number one the one thing i want you to remember is god's providence just the simple reality that god 
in his providence. It, it simply means his unfolding plan. That which he planned in eternity past, before time began, before anything was here, the Bible tells us, and it's a mystery. We don't see it fully, but we know dimly that there was a plan that was formulated to create, then redeem fallen humanity. And then one day for Christ to consummate his kingdom and rule as a king forever and ever over his people. So I think we would say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. But God's providence is his unfolding plan of redemption. And we see it all throughout uh, the scriptures. We are living God's providence even in this moment. The second thing I want you to remember is the Bible reveals to us God's unfolding plan. As I just mentioned, when we are reading from Genesis to Revelation, what we are reading is God's inspired word. And as God's inspired word, it's his truth. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's what he wants us to know about who he is and what he, what he is like and who we are and what we're like and our desperate need for Christ. And this plan of redemption that unfolds literally in time and in space. And I want you to understand that what that means is every single thing that you read about in the Bible is true. Every miracle is true. Every story is true. Every part of the Christmas story even that boggles our minds that we can't wrap our minds around that's a mystery to us like the virgin birth. It's true. It's not made up and it's not a fairy tale, but it's true. We just sang about it. This is our hope. Our hope is found in Christ and the truth of his word and what the word has revealed about him and how he saves those who will cry out to him in repentance and in faith. So I wanted to get that out before us in remembrance this morning, because as we look at our text, our text is a part of God's unfolding redemptive plan. After years, decades, centuries, and millennia even of waiting for the fulfilled promise of the seed that would come, the Messiah, we come to our text and we see that he in fact is promised to come to the angel Gabriel, which means in nine months, he's coming. And he, Mary rather, is going to be used in a unique role that God has for her to play in this redemptive plan. And I want us to remember God's providence and I want us to remember God's word and I want us to remember redemptive history because what it does is it allows us, it helps us to stay focused on Christ. Focus on the attention of our glorious Savior. Focus our attention on God the Father sending God the Son. It helps us to rightly honor Mary as well. We do not worship Mary. She is not a co-redemptress with God the Son, but we do need to honor her. We don't want to overcorrect or protect ourselves to the point that we don't honor Mary. She is worthy of being honored for her faith in Christ. And then it also is going to help us think about, well, what do we do with all of this this morning? So look with me at the text and let's read it together. Luke 1 verse 46, the Bible says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
for he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring or seed forever. And then Mary remained with her, that would be Elizabeth, for about three months and returned to her home. Go with me back now to verse 46, please. And I want us to focus on how Mary praises God. In verses 46 through 49, here's what we see through the life of Mary. We see Mary very simply praise God for God's work in her life. Notice verse 46 again. She says that her soul magnifies the Lord. You can think of a magnifying glass if you would like. If you've ever looked through a magnifying glass. Pastor Jim, I remember being out behind my great grandma's house when I was a little kid with a magnifying glass burning stuff. That's how I used it. But I don't think that was intended purpose for a magnifying glass. But as a mischievous little kid... As you can imagine that I was, that's how I used it to start fires. But the right purpose of a magnifying glass is to blow something up that's small so that you can see it more clearly. Mary is praising God here for what God has done in her and what God has promised to do through her. Blowing up this image of God, magnifying it bigger than what we see with the human eye. So we see it with our hearts. How big and how great and how awesome is our God? And that's what she's praising. She's saying, God, you are bigger than I ever thought that you were. You are more mighty, more majestic, more glorious than I could ever proclaim in a thousand lifetimes. And I want to enlarge how big you are to the world. She says in verse 47 that her spirit rejoices or exults in God. So she's magnifying the Lord, Kyrios in the Greek, which means owner or master. It also means supreme Lord, supreme sovereign ruler of all. She's saying, I want everyone to see how big God is so that everyone can see that he is our master, that he is our owner, that he is sovereign and there is no other. And then she says in 47, <coughs> my spirit exalts or rejoices in God. A different name for God in the Greek, it's theos, which just means true God. So I want you to think about this in the, the span of one simple sentence and one simple praise. She's praising God, magnifying him for being our master, our owner, our ruler, our authority, 
our sovereign king and Lord. And then she's also saying, in case we didn't catch the first meaning, she doubles back and says, by the way, in a world full of false gods, he's the only true God. She magnifies him and exults in him. And I want you to notice again with fresh eyes in 46 and 47 where this praise comes from. I want you to notice first what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that it just comes from her lips. It's not just words on a page. It's not just words that she's saying. My brothers and my sisters, we are so very good, are we not, at just saying things we don't mean. That's not Mary here. This is not just simple speak or simple talk. Notice the source. It's not just lips. She's not a Pharisee where she's honoring God only with her lips. No, it goes deeper than that because she's a true Christian. It's not just with her lips, but it's actually deep down inside of her. Notice the text again. This enlarging of our sovereign God comes from where? Her soul. And this exalting in this one true God comes from where? Her spirit. Calvin said this. Praise God for smart men. This is what he said. He said, whenever you're looking in the Bible and you see the word soul and spirit used in combination. It's done to, to help us understand something important. And here's what he said. It helps us understand the spirits. When it uses the word spirit, it speaks to our understanding. And when it uses the word soul, it speaks to our affections. You say, well, you lost me. I don't get it. What does that all that mean? Make it plain. Let me try. With the desires and affections and wants and loves of her heart, she is saying from that place, that's how she's magnifying God. And with her mind and with her thoughts and with her reasoning and with her intellect, that's how she's praising God. My brothers and my sisters, despite what the world says, our faith is rational. Our faith is logical. Our faith is not merely existential. It's not merely experiential. It is real. It's active. It's sharp or the God's word is sharper than any two edged sword. And it reveals to us his word does that our faith is rooted and grounded in the historical reality of Christ. And so she's saying, I may be of low estate, but with my mind, I'm glorifying God. And with my wants and desires and my loves, I am magnifying God. Let me say it differently with every fiber of her being. Jesus said it in Matthew 22. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Salvation's. When God saves us, he saves us completely. He renews our mind. He renews our heart. He renews our desires. He renews our wants. So it would make sense then when we are praising God, it's not just words that come from our lips, but it wells up deep down from inside of our toes, Andy, and it comes all the way up to the outside. 
He's the one I love. He's the one I want to praise. He's the one that I want to adore. He's the one I want to worship. He's the one that's done great things for me. He is the one that I love. He's my curios. He's my theos. Now, what led her to erupt in this praise? Look at verse 48. Notice what Mary says. With every fiber of my being, I'm praising God. And here's why. For he has looked on the humble estate of my of his servants. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who has mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And Mary is saying what we often said or we say rather when we look back on where we were before Jesus found us and saved us. She's basically saying he found me far away from him and he found me in a humble place. He found me in great need. And because of this work in me and through me, generations like us today are going to call me blessed. This is why, verse 49, he's done great things for me. What are those great things that he's done for Mary that she's talking about? Look with me at verse 26, same chapter, Luke 1. Let's read it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Oh, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Why is she magnifying God? Why is she praising God from the bottom of her toes to the top of her head, from deep down inside of her soul? Why is she praising God in that way? Because God has just told her in his kind providence to her, her role in redemptive history. That this long-awaited seed that they had been waiting for since Genesis 3.15, he finally was coming. He was finally here. And she was chosen by God to be the one to 
carry this child, to give birth to this child, then to raise this child. She was the one of all the, the women she was chosen to carry the Messiah. And not only that, but we read in it that in this passage of scripture, I mean, that, that it would be a miraculous birth. It was not going to be a birth like any other births in the Bible. There were plenty of births where ladies miraculously had children long past childbearing years. There were, there were stories also like Hannah in the Bible where God had closed and then opened her womb. So uh, there's a lot happening in the Bible redemptively around infertility. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. And God blessing with babies. But this baby that would come through Mary was not like any other baby. And his birth would not be like any other birth. His conception would not be like any other conception. He would be born, Chimo has told us, in a very low place, in a manger, in a stable. And he would be conceived as the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary in a way that we can't fully comprehend. But we know this, God has all power and can do all his holy will. And his will was for Mary to be conceived or to conceive Jesus in this way. So she's praising God for her role in redemptive history. And she's praising God for this miraculous birth. She's praising God that the Messiah has finally come. But there's more. In fact, I would suggest this is the real root of her praise. Look back with me to verse 47. You may have already noticed it and said, Preacher, you forgot this part. Well, I was coming back to it. Look at 47. My spirit rejoices in God. What? What does it say? Look at the text. What does it say? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The rescuer of the penalty of sin and the power of sin. The one that's going to rescue us from this evil world. The one that's going to rescue us from this place. The one that's going to reverse the effects of the fall. The one that's going to make all wrongs right. The one that's going to come and rule justly, completely, and forever. He is my Savior. Think about what she's saying. What she's saying is she was already a believer before she even got the news about the angel from, from Gabriel about the Messiah being born through her. She was already a believer. She had already placed her faith in the promise. She's saying, I believe, and he's my Savior. In fact, she says the same thing that Elizabeth says. Look at verse 42. Notice what Elizabeth says to Mary when they meet each other. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of what? My Lord. Look, Elizabeth was already saved. Old Testament saints placed their faith and trust in the Messiah that was to come. They were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, just like we are. And both of these women are examples to us of what it looks like to have genuine saving faith. Even humanly when it doesn't make sense. It's pretty awesome. 
She's praising God for her salvation. And she's praising God for her role in redemptive history. I wonder this morning who you're trusting in. We have so much more light and so much more revelation than Mary even did when she lived. We have a complete canon of scripture. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. And from Genesis to Revelation, if you haven't noticed, it's all about King Jesus. And I wonder this morning who you're trusting in. And this Christmas season, this Christmas hour, this time where we remember where we remember Christ's birth. Why are you here? And who are you hoping in? And who are you trusting in for your salvation? Christ is the light of the nations, light to the Gentiles, light to the Jews. He's our only hope. And if you're hoping in someone else, it's not going to work. And if you're hoping in your own righteousness, it's not going to work. If you're hoping in me, it's not going to work. Your hope must be placed in Christ alone. And Mary shows us this, even though it doesn't make sense, humanly speaking, how is all of this going to happen? She trusts, she believes that she would carry the Messiah and that the Messiah, the one that she was carrying would be and is and will always be her savior. I wonder if that's true about you this morning. Mary praises God for her salvation. And that's really the driving force of why she praises God with her soul. And why she praises God with her spirit. And why she just doesn't stop with her lips. You see, hypocrites stop with their lips, don't they? Hypocrites know the answers. They know what to do. They know all of this. But it never gets down to their hearts. My brothers and my sisters, I say this with much love, but with much urgency. We've just seen it with the Williams family. Today is the day of salvation. Spurgeon said it well, tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is the Lord's day. And today is the day of salvation. And Mary and both Elizabeth are preaching to you through me, calling you to repentance and faith in Christ. And if you come to him in repentance and faith, you can find salvation just like Mary did, just like Elizabeth did, just like Zechariah did, just like Joseph did. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. God's arm is not too short that it can't save. And let me say this, and then I'll move on. The greatest miracle is the new birth. All these miracles that are recorded for us in the scripture are just to show us how powerful God is. And that our greatest need is a new heart before a holy and righteous God. And God's arm's not too short, it can't save. And we just read it in the text that nothing is impossible with God. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you come from. God will save you if you cry out to him in repentance and faith today. Do it now. <laughs> Do it right now while you're sitting, while you're listening. Cry out to him now. God, I, I need you to save me from my, my sins. It's an interesting thing, Rachel and music team. That one of the greatest gospel tracks is music. That we sing 
from the depths of the overflowing love and joy that we have in our heart that a holy God would send his son to save us from our sins. Thank you for all that you do. Let's keep going. Now I want to talk with you about Mary's praise for God's character and his nature. So this praise erupts like a volcano from her heart because she's not who she once was. She's born again. She's new. She's a daughter of God. She's been saved. At some point before this, we don't know when. And then that love and her knowledge of God drives her praise. Let's read it again. We'll start in verse 49. Look at what she says. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary's praising God here because of who God is. Because of the truth of who God is. I want you to think about this. I'm going to say it a little bit differently. Mary's doxology is driven by her theology. The doxology is just a big fancy theological term that just means bringing glory to God. She's bringing glory to God because of her knowledge of God. We could probably have a long discussion on how you can't truly and rightly praise a God you don't truly and rightly know from the scriptures. But I'll save that for another day. Mary's doxology is driven by her theology. Her praise and exaltation and thanksgiving is driven by the truth of who God is. And the same is true for us. Your praise and your exaltation will deepen as your understanding of God deepens. Brother Bill, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're reading scripture and you just have to stop reading. And your heart begins to swell and your eyes begin to fill with tears. And you begin to think the same thing David said when he said, who am I that you are mindful of me? It's an amazing thing. We could say the, uh, the same thing a different way from a different angle. Your praise and exaltation in God will remain shallow and will fade quickly away if your understanding of God is shallow. It's important to think through. Uh, let me back up one verse to 48. Let's start there. Let me show you a couple of things that she, she talks to us about the Lord. Verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servants looked there simply means to pay attention for those of you that are lonely and wonder if anyone notices you or if anyone cares or if everyone's forgotten you may i encourage you to not put your hope in the things of this world or the people of this world but there's a god who sees there's a god who knows there's a god who cares even in the dark watches of the night God sees, God knows, God cares, God pays attention. Pastor Jim, I couldn't think about how she's talking about God's omniscience, that God knows all. Brother Jimbo, I couldn't help but think of Hagar when she was driven out into the wilderness 
and she was underneath the bush and she was crying, not knowing what was going to happen to her or what was going to happen to Ishmael and how God met her in that moment. And she called that place Be'er Laha Roy, God, the God who sees. We have a God who pays attention. Verse 49, she praises God for his might. Notice what she says. He who is mighty has done great things for me. I couldn't help but think about God's omnipotence, that he is all powerful. Go with me to Exodus 15. Moses praises God for the exact same thing when God brings the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. And no sooner than they do, listen to what Moses prays. Or praises God for. Talk about the role of song again. 15 verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord saying. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Isn't that awesome? What's Moses doing? Go back to Luke 1 now. He's praising God for God's might and God's strength. Verse 49, again, she praises God for his holy name. I could not help but think about the reality of Isaiah 6. We talk about that throne room scene quite a bit where the, the seraphim are flying around the throne room of God. And their whole job, their whole existence is very simply to proclaim the holiness of God. Where they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Look back with me at verse 50. Notice what she praises God for in verse 50. She praises God for God's mercy, God's compassion. I couldn't help but think there of old blind Bartimaeus. Drew, you remember old blind Bartimaeus, Drew, on the side of the road? Jesus is walking down the road and he, he hears, he can't see, but he, he hears the, the crowd and the commotion. And he finds out that Jesus is coming and he cries out for mercy. He says, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heals him of his blindness and saves him from his sin. I couldn't help but think in verses 51 and 52 where it talks about how God in his might scatters the proud. And he brings them down from the thrones of their hearts and even nations and rulers. He brings them down. I couldn't help Phil, but think about Psalm 2. Psalm 2 where it talks to us about how this one that's going to come, the Messiah, is going to rule with a rod of iron. And he's going to rule over the nations. And at the very end of verse 2, we are encouraged and exhorted to kiss the son, lest he is angry with us. It's a call to repentance. I couldn't help with thinking in verse 52, where Mary talks here about her humility of James 4, verse 6, how God brings opposition to the proud, but yet grace to the humble. And I couldn't help but think there about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus? How Lazarus received all the good things on this side of glory and Lazarus did not. But yet Lazarus, because of his faith in Christ, 
would be with the Lord forever. God exalts the humble like Lazarus. Then in verse 53, I couldn't help but think of the Sermon on the Mount, Chimo, where he says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but yet the rich he has sent away empty. It's a paradox, and it matters what world you're living for, does it not? But in Matthew 5, verse 3, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're told, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of God. Mary is quite a theologian, is she not? She has just talked about all kinds of attributes and characteristics and the nature of God. And that's what's fueling her praise and that's what's fueling her doxology. It's not a praise chorus that's re repeated a thousand times with no depth. There's depth, there's meat, there's substance. To her praise. Now I want you to notice verses 54 and 55. Mary praises God for his covenantal faithfulness. Look at what she says in 54. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. To Abraham and to his offspring. Forever. That word helped. It literally means. To pick somebody up by the hand. That's what it literally means. Mark, I'm sure in your days as a paramedic and as a policeman now and all of the things that you've done, you've had many moments where you had to go to someone in need, someone in distress, someone that needed a helping hand from someone to get them up from the situation that they were in. It's used figuratively. It's not like God is literally picking us up by the hand, but spiritually he is. It is used figuratively to talk about to support someone from falling, to support someone and to help someone. We say, well, what does that have to do with Israel? It has everything to do with Israel in this moment. Think about where they're at. Think about what they where they once were. Think about when they reached the height of their power under David and Solomon's rule. David, a man after God's own heart does so many amazing things. Solomon picks up where his father left off. And then the, under Solomon's rule, Israel literally on this side of glory reaches the height of its power. Its borders were wide. Its economy was strong. Its priestly system was intact. It was a strong nation. But oh, how the mighty and prideful fall because of Solomon's choices and the choice of at least one of his children after him, Israel then plunged headlong into good king, bad king, good king, bad king, split kingdom, exile. 400 year period of silence where there is no word from God until John the Baptist comes on the scene. At the moment in the context of, of Mary's praise, they're under Roman rule. And the priestly system is an absolute joke to say the least. I mean, Jesus, we all know, was very strong against the Pharisees for their hypocrisy because they loved to be praised by men, but they really did not love God. Their political system was in shambles. Their economy was in shambles and their spiritual system was in shambles as well. And that's the context by which God comes. That's the context by which Christ comes into this context, into this moment where Israel is falling 
where Israel needs needs help. Let's not forget that it was so bad that in Jesus's ministry, the disciples asked when Jesus said that they needed a righteousness that was greater than the Pharisees. His own disciples said, who in the world could be saved then? This is the religious and spiritual context. This is this is the setting that the Messiah is born into. And this is the good news that Mary is proclaiming that God hasn't forgotten us that God remembers us. He remembers us in our brokenness. He remembers us in our helplessness. He remembers us in our hopelessness. And he has sent Christ. Look at verse 54. He is merciful and he remembers us just like he spoke to our, our fathers. In fact, go back to verse 32. Gabriel already has said this. We've already read it. Verse 32, Christ will be great. Christ will be called the son of the most high. He will be divine. He is divine. He is God. He'll take on flesh. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father who? This is a total look to the fulfilling of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Mary is picking up on that and praising God for that. And then she says in verse 55, he spoke to our fathers. He spoke to Abraham. She's looking at the Abraham covenant, that there would be one that would come through Abraham's line, the seed that she talks about at the end of the verse, that he would come and redeem his people and bless the nations. So awesome. This is the this is what she's praising God for. Now, I want us to end by going to chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse 8. We're going to pick up after where Chimo left off reading and just read three verses. This is after Christ's birth. We just read about that earlier in the service. It's pretty awesome. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Mary saw this day coming and praises God for it. We look back and we remember and praise and thank God for it. She praises God for the work that was done in her life and through her life. God's placement and role that he had for her in redemptive history. She praises God for his character and his nature and who God is. And then she praises God for her for his covenantal faithfulness. And then the shepherds break out in song to the, excuse me, the angels break out in song to these shepherds and announce the, the birth of, of Christ, that he is a savior born for the people. I ask you again this morning, the day before Christmas, what will you do with King Jesus? What will you do? 
The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. I want to urge you humbly yet boldly to give your life to Christ today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. And the reality is we can never do it justice that it deserves. But we trust your spirit to apply it to our lives as needed. God, even now as I'm praying, I pray for the illumination and the opening of the hearts of those that need this, whether they're listening or here in person. God, I pray for the salvation of someone that needs you. God, for those of us that are in the faith, I pray that we look at Mary and we just simply follow her lead. That, God, we will praise you deep from within our hearts for who you are and for what you've done. For your character and your nature and your covenantal faithfulness. We are a covenantal people. In order to understand the word rightly, we have to understand your covenants. It's an amazing thing that she's praising you for. Oh, God, please be kind to us. Work down deep in us. May this Christmas, may this Christmas be the best Christmas we've had. Not because of an amazing gift we get, but because of an amazing God who saved us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we worship the Lord uh, through song.